On June 20th, 1984, two fishermen came upon the nude and dismembered body of a woman floating down the Spokane River in Washington. This woman would remain nameless and unknown for 39 years until genetic genealogy would return her identity. Her murder, however, remains unpunished. Hi, everyone. Thanks for stopping by our table of disappointment. This is How They Got Away, the show where we discuss the unsatisfying endings to your favorite unsolved or unpunished true crime and corporate greed stories. I'm your host today, Kelsey, with my co-host. Annalise, and I am very much thinking of the ladies of the dune. Ruth, Mary, Terry, Ruth again. Genetic genealogy, we pretty sure, like I'm pretty sure it was the husband in that scenario. But, like, I'm going to hold my tongue for now. Very interesting. You say Ruth there. But we'll get into that. And our one guest today. Hi, everyone. It's me, Anna, again. Our silly little... I, I don't know why I said our. Like, I am also part of this court. I am the court jester of today. We're having a wonderful time. We're going to just kind of jump right into the body discovery. And I'm doing this very specifically because I think there's a lot of... There's a lot of time in between when the body is found and when there's an actual identification in this case. And I think when we look back on it, there's a lot of context that we have now that there's an identification that we paint onto when the body was found and things like that. So we're going to live in the world that the investigators live for a moment where we don't know who this is. So we're just going to jump right into a body discovery. So like I said, the dismembered and naked body of a woman was found on June 20th, 1984, in the afternoon by fishermen in the Spokane River near the Spokane Falls Community College campus. This is also near uh, the TJ Menashe Bridge. Possibly was thrown off of it. Couldn't. Maybe. I don't know. That's a lot. <laughs> it's a lot. It, there's That's more. a lot. <laughs> it's also... We just got done with the uh, Texas Killing Fields episode. A lot of fishermen found a lot of bodies. I guess it's just one of those things. If you're fishing, you have maybe a slightly higher. Maybe that's a like a bias on my part, but it sounds like maybe you have a slightly. Okay, it's a, I think it's a little biased because we were just doing the Texas Killing Fields. So many were found with fishermen. I, I don't think you're at that much higher, but it is insane. I can't imagine just being, doing my day, doing my Living thing. Like, life. this is my fishing spot. I don't fish, but this is my fishing spot. And I go there frequently, and I just like, Phoop. I know, you set ah! up for, like, a nice nature activity, and then you find a body. I truly hope I never discover a human corpse in any capacity. I don't want that, and I feel really bad for people. Because how do you go about your day after that? You Days change. Over. Oh, yeah. You change. Like, your entire life is not even just your day. You're changed forever. I'm not the man I once was. So the body was dismembered and notably missing were the head, the hands, and the feet. Now, those could have sunk to the bottom of the river. Heads generally float, but when it comes to hands and feet, if it's especially, it hasn't been very long since the body has been in water, those can kind of float off, but they were very clearly purposefully dismembered, so they were looking Yeah, I was going to say, that is very much a speaking to, I don't want someone to find out who this is. You're taking the fingerprints away, you're taking the head away, like very discernible parts of a exactly. person. Exactly. Inve investigators did believe that the dismemberment was 
likely done as a means purpose of of obscuring identity there might have been something else creepy and gross to it but that was seemed to be the main motivation for that just like ruth mary terry interesting interesting i'm just saying there's parallels yeah and but what, what they weren't sure at the time was had they just dismembered them and thrown those parts for lack of a better word in the river with the rest of it or had they kept them in some sort of gross trophy or put them somewhere else unclear Mm. okay imagine you're taking a late night walk just randomly i would never because i'm scared but (laughs) i'm a scaredy cat i'm a small bean but imagine you're taking a walk and you just see some guy dragging something and it's dumping it off like what is happening an evening walk and unfortunate discoveries will play into this case. Don't even. I'm sorry, Annalise. Don't even. Sus. By the way, I found, so in Spokane, Washington, there are a number of newspapers. Uh, The local main newspaper that I could find was the Spokesman Review. Uh, I found the newspaper article for, this was, this body discovery took place in the afternoon of the 20th. So the next day, the 21st, it did make news. It technically made front page news and by technically i mean there was literally a paragraph in the bottom right corner of barely taking up any space at all i would think body found in river would be number one no 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 what was the other news that day yeah main um... story was about an illegal alien bill that the entire city was up in arms about very controversial this was this was reagan era politics also so that is what main the main story was although that's a little that's a little more understandable in defense in defense of the spokesman review as well they didn't have any information at this point they had about a paragraph's worth of information whereas with this illegal alien bill they could have a journalist actually write up a story about it so i kind of get it but it feels like this barely made the cut of front page news in spokane also in defense of spokane they had about at the time of 1984 they had nearly a quarter million people this is not a small town so there's a lot going on it's a lot to report news on so with the discovery of this body clearly a suspicious death nothing about this is non-suspicious i would say so they performed an autopsy and what that revealed was that this was a white female between the ages of 30 and 40 uh, five foot seven and approximately one hundred and thirty pounds. That's a pretty average build, hmm. age range. A very normal person. Pretty normal body type person type. They did note two uh, possibly identifying moles on the front of the neck, one on the side and one in the center. Maybe if somebody would recognize those. She okay. had scars on each knee and one couple inch long scar on her left arm. Okay, so there's a couple of things that could be discerning. It's not like she is just like, you know, when you're giving the description, like that's a very average person to try and identify, but there's like a couple of mm-hmm. little things. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The autopsy also revealed uh, she was the victim of a violent sexual assault. I could oh, be more specific God. with that. I'm choosing not to be. Thank you for saving us. Uh, They also determined that she had likely given birth about a year or two before her death. So she had a child. Are we going to find out? Well, we find out who she is later, so. 
We do find out who she is later, much, much, much later. Yeah, yeah. Also of note, on July 19th, about a month later, uh, a dog brought home a decomposing severed human hand. Why do dogs do that? Like the backyard. I mean, I understand why dogs do that, but we need to stop letting our dogs just run loose. Like, they're going to find things and you... I mean, honestly, but, like, maybe it's good that they find these things. They're retrieving... A golden retriever is doing his job of retrieving. Theoretically, yes. You're gonna... You're about to be really mad. Oh, no. Obviously, they found a dismembered corpse earlier, so Mm. they believe this hand belonged to this body. But genetic testing would disprove this theory. However, that means there is a hand that belongs to somebody else. (laughs) Who is this person? This home was near the Indian Canyon Golf Course, which is also next to a large naturalized canyon area. So there's this huge portion of land that is where one could presumably dump a body and it not be found. Sure. Easily. Somehow they lost this hand. I don't know how. I have no idea how. I don't know if it was misplaced. So it cannot be retested. So even if they find the body that this belongs to, they can (laughs) never retest it because it's just gone. So we'll never know whose hand this is. Wait, so they don't have anything else on it? Like everything with that hand? No. It's gone. It could be in a storage locker somewhere in the ether of Washington. I certainly hope so. How'd we lose a human hand? Guys, guys, how'd we lose a human hand? I just Guys, we need to do some reorganization. I'm very confused by what happened there. I don't know. Spring cleaning. Someone dropped the ball hard. Hard. There were, at the time of her discovery, there were no females missing in the Spokane area that matched that description. Okay. So they were unable to identify the body. They had no fingerprints. They had no dental records, no face to make a facial reconstruction. At this time, they didn't have any DNA to match it to. They did collect DNA samples and couldn't really find anything. Not at this point. And they did eventually bury her with the hope that more evidence would come to light one day that they could match it to. Okay, so besides the hand thing, they were doing their due diligence. Here's the thing. Oh. Oh. Oh, dear. Something interesting to note, and I don't know if it's related or not. I I found the spokesman review. I found a good archive of it. So I went through like a few days around the murder to try to like glean as much information as I could about what they knew at the time. I did find an article dated June 23rd, three days later, 1984, that was criticizing the state coroner's system at the time in Washington. At this time, Spokane pathologists and hospitals were performing autopsies for police, but they did not, the article was stating that they did not want to continue doing so because most of them did not have any specific formal training in forensic pathology. Interesting, interesting. So there's a question there about, and they were also talking about how they were having difficulty finding pathology, pathologists who could who were willing to do this, who had the training to do so. So there is definitely so there's like a job a, shortage. There's a job shortage. There's a training shortage. I, I know I want to like put the onus on the medical examiner at the time for 
for this I, there's no identifying information what are you going to do here but it does beg the question of like if there had been proper forensic and i also do not know if the specific medical examiner had forensic pathology experience or not so the whole system was just set up incorrectly to handle this exactly yeah. uh, a quote from this article um from spokane county prosecutor donald brockett really stands out to me as very poignant Quote, I have become convinced that if you don't start an investigation right, you are going to miss a lot of cases. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. That's right. I don't know why you had, like, he said become convinced. You weren't before? <laughs> I, I don't know. I think they were, like, trying to just work with the system that they had, and then it I was mean, becoming yeah, yeah, increasingly yeah. obvious. That, I get it. It's like, just a weird thing continue. to say. Mm. So 14 years later, a local <laughs> resident was walking her dog in the evening near a vacant lot at the corner of 7th and Sherman Street. The dog! Man. In the north corner of the lot, amongst some debris at the bottom of an embankment, they saw a human skull. Yikes! It was found with other bones that were initially believed to belong to the skull. You find a skull, you find some bones, you assume those are connected. But this was later proven to not be the case. Did they relate to the hand? <laughs> I know we we'll don't never know. know. I know we don't know. I don't believe it was ever determined who these other bones belong to. There Bro. was also, there had previously been a church on this vacant lot. So there was some question about whether or not there was ever a cemetery on these grounds. I believe the answer was no, but sometimes churches are weird with records. It, unclear. Okay. Okay. What the fuck is going on, Spokane, though? Because what? You're just. We have a surplus of bones barely top. Yeah. This was not like a. This was a suburban area. I looked at the Google Maps. It is heavily suburban. There, it's surrounded by houses. It's a vacant lot, but there, it's kitty corner to other houses. Yeah, they, you know, it's a popular play area for local children. And oh, God, volunteers, yeah, volunteers regularly, like maintain the space because it had become sort of a community like park sort Aww. of a thing. There used to be a tree house in the north corner. Oh, no. That's so cute. That's so sad. They had volunteers like I said, did stuff here regularly. They had cleared like branches and debris from this lot just months before and no skull was found so it begs the question of whether or not the skull was uncovered from a shallow grave that it had been in only just recently or if it had been recently moved there and then that begs the question why would you move it 14 years later yeah weird 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 also this to be clear i if i wasn't already this area saw a lot of traffic so why would you put the skull here in the first place 14 years ago or now did you want it found yeah that's so weird it's like almost yeah. taunting if they did move it it's like taunting like oh you didn't find me so i'm gonna fuck around and find out i feel like there's also a question of was it the killer who put it there did somebody mm -hmm. else find the skull somewhere else not want to be involved in an investigation and then moved it somewhere that they knew it would be found i don't know why anyone would do that but i feel like exploring all options we truly do not know who put this people here. do probably weird the killer 
people do weird things. Also, yeah. I looked at the a map of Spokane, Washington. This was about a 10 minutes drive away from the river in small, like residential roads and area. You have to know this was here to Got make all the turns to find this one suburban area with a vacant lot that was also basically a park. So that makes me wonder if there was some planning in advance or if, I don't know, what, why would you move the skull here? Also, what's going on with the other bones? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like you said, people are weird. My knowledge, the hands and feet were never found, assuming that hand the dog found was not related. That hand's going to bother me. There was also some speculation that serial killer Robert Lee Yates was involved in this because he was active in Spokane at the time. I don't know what specifically made people believe that wasn't the case, but he was eventually ruled out. They were like, no, I don't, it didn't quite match his MO, I think. Okay. So at this point, at this point, they did not know that the skull and the body were related because it had been 14 years. Yeah, that's a long time. Yeah. I also would not assume that they are related at that point. Uh, Police reconstruction of the skull's face was eventually released to law enforcement agencies in the Northwest because they did not know who this was and they didn't know if she was from Spokane or not. A few years after the skull's discovery, it was eventually determined through DNA that it belonged to the dismembered body found in 1984. In addition to DNA, uh, the angle of the wounds on the vertebrae still attached to the skull matched those from the vertebrae attached to the rest of the body. Right. Mm -hmm. Uh, To get this DNA to confirm this match, they exhumed the body. I believe they'd taken samples originally in 1984, but we've talked about DNA and its history a little bit in previous cases. They don't always know the best methods of DNA collection. It's better to have like a fresh sample. So they exhumed the body and were able to not only match the DNA, but also submit the DNA to new databases such as the NCIC that were new out here in the world. And they got no hits at that time because, you know, her DNA is not in the system. So she died in 1986. Is that it? 84. Her body was found in 1984. Mm -hmm. 1984. And then her skull was found 14 years later. Yep. Right. So So about 1999-2000. Okay. Hmm. All right. Okay. I'm, I'm, I'm visualizing the timeline. <laughs> but it wasn't until a few years after that that the skull was att- was connected to the body. I believe around 2003 or four. Okay. So they had some, like processing time. Makes sense. Yep. Mm-hmm. You, the, we've established in other cases, DNA takes a while, especially when you're submitting it to national databases that have thousands upon thousands of entries. Here's a weird... Note, the detective Don Geis, who was in charge of the skull and was transporting it to a forensic anthropologist, this was when they were identifying it and connecting it to the body. Uh, He had to travel several hours. It was over a day's travel to get the skull where it needed to be. Uh, Brought his fifth grade daughter along for this trip. A daddy Um, time. (laughs) Bring your child to work day. While stopped at a motel, his daughter said, quote, since we have another person in the room, we should name her. Let's call her Millie. 
And Millie was used from then on to refer to the victim in the case by investigators. And then once they connected the skull to the body, the case was connected. Body was referred to as Millie as well. Okay, like it's nice that she like, it's like that's humanizing it more. Yeah, but that's pretty from nice. From a parental um, perspective, what was this? This is an odd um, choice. Yeah, it's kind of weird. I think it's kind of nice though, because he's like, hey, uh, this is what I do. And she's kind of like, some kids will be like, oh, that's like yucky and gross. But she's kind of like, that's so cool of my daddy to do that. Um, she doesn't say that, of course. I don't know. But I don't know. I, I don't know I'm what getting. the circumstances of this were, but I thought it was a really weird point in the story of to be like, okay? <laughs> my daughter is coming with me to work. She has named this body Millie. I like, no, I like how everyone else kind of agreed. Like, instead of being like, no, that's so silly. Why would we do that? They were just like, okay, slay. Millie, Millie it is. That's kind of I like to imagine she got to the place and, and he was like trying to do paperwork and she goes, yeah, that's Millie. And they're like, I thought we were trying to figure out who that is. And they're like, we are. We're just calling her Millie. And they went, mm, okay. Writes down Millie. <laughs> the daughter being like, I named her. Her, ne her name is Millie now. And everyone's like, I can't fight a little girl on this shirt. I say little, but she's like in fifth grade. So she, she's got opinions. I'm not fighting a fifth grader. Well, I had to think, I had to think, cause once you hit like the age of five, you're conscious. And then, well, you know what I mean? You are aware. <laughs> on your fifth you start birthday. Becoming on the, on the fifth year of my birth, this was awful. We're getting into psychology now and what children, like to life stages. I don't I mean, know. I'm like just it, thinking, that is around the but... age when you only just start to really understand the permanence of death. So I think like, oh yeah. The laissez-faire reaction of children to death fits here. There were several false starts uh, with different people coming forward, believing that Millie could be their missing loved one, and they would submit some DNA in an attempt to verify this. I believe there was one woman who came all the way from the UK. Oh. Oh. Yeah. Uh, in 2004, a woman in... A woman from New South Wales came and said that she believed that Millie was her missing daughter, but oh, DNA testing God. proved that not to be the case. Did they ever find her daughter? I don't know what happened with that, but yeah. That's so sad. There, and in 2015, there was another tip that came in thinking that Millie could be a missing woman who had disappeared from Blythe, California in 1980, who was like a member of a biker gang. But that <laughs> ended up not panning out. The DNA said, no, that wasn't the case either. Cool. Uh, in 2006, I forgot to say some, there was a little bit of tape found on Millie's arm when she was found in the river, which they hmm. collected, but at the time had no DNA, like, couldn't really find anything on it. In 2006, they took the tape and tried to test it for DNA, hoping that they would find some of the killer's DNA. But unfortunately, they did not find anything. It had been in the water. Yeah. The mm. chance was slightly slim anyway. But to, the, all this to say, like, the case was being actively worked on. Yeah, they're trying. As soon they're doing their due diligence. As, yep. And in... In 2017, a, they made another facial reconstruction. So there you see they've incorporated the the two moles, the scar on the left arm, also a gap in her teeth. I don't, hmm. 
That must have been part of the skull. Huh. I don't like they probably put her by water. I didn't notice that, but yeah. I don't think that that was intentional, but ooh. Yeah. Damn, they really did that to her, huh? Also in 2007, in addition to making that new facial reconstruction, she was reported to be the only unidentified female in Spokane County. Damn. Mm. And the case, other than that one note in 2015 where they tried to match her to that woman from the biker gang, went pretty cold up until September of 2021. Damn. Mm. Yeah. In September of 2021, Millie's DNA was sent to Othram for sequencing. So Othram specializes in genetic, forensic genetic genealogy with the goal of identifying suspects and previously unidentified remains. Okay. So they, they didn't have this woman's DNA anywhere. She wasn't in any national databases, but maybe she had a family member who was or submitted their DNA because you can submit your DNA to these kinds of organizations if you have a missing loved one and mm-hmm. hopefully they can match you. They provided Spokane police with a list of potential family members. And from that, they found her only living family member, Deborah. And on February 17th of 2023, Millie Jeez, was identified. Current. Yeah, oh, this is current. That was last year. That was last year. She was finally identified as Ruth Bell Waymeyer, 39 years after her death. Damn. Oh my gosh. She had never been reported missing. Oh no. No wonder they couldn't find her. (laughs) Exactly. We're going to get in a little bit into why that might be. But first we're going to talk about Ruth. She was born in Spokane, Washington, April 16th, 1960. She's a local. She she and her younger sister, Deborah, were very close, according to Deborah. She some oh. sources also said she had an older sister. I couldn't find a whole lot about that. I believe at the time of Ruth's identification, that older sister had been deceased, so there's not really a lot oh. of follow-up on that. Oh. Deborah says that Ruth was very protective of her. She uh told one story of being on the bus and a bully was like hitting her over the head with books. And she says that Ruth, quote, Put her, put the bully in their place. I don't know what that means. I don't know if that means punch them or not. Yeah, and Deborah says she never had any problems with them after that. So she, Ruth, put them in her place. Look, as someone who has younger siblings, and if I am seeing someone bully my sibling, also smacking someone on the head with a book, like it could be a huge textbook or a little book. But I'm like, those shits hurt. That's true. Those are heavy. I would beat the shit out of them. I would make as them an older sibling, it's out. on site. <laughs> it's on site. Kelsey and I shaking hands like it's on site. As a younger sibling, I, I, I'm glad to have an older sibling. <laughs> Most of what we know about Ruth comes from Deborah, and she says that their life was pretty normal, pretty average, up until 1978, where their parents, Helen and William Waymeyer, divorced. That's not uncommon. That happens in families sometimes, but it can be difficult. Ruth would have been a teenager and Deborah would have been late elementary school at this point. Uh, Ruth, Deborah, and their mother went to live with relatives and maybe also an older sister, according to some sources. So 
the children went to go live with the mother and the father i saw some sources that said the father financially supported them until his remarriage but then i saw several other sources that said he remarried within weeks of the divorce finalized being finalized oh so let me that, tell you what the divorce was about then oh huh. so i guess that means he's financially supported them for weeks okay he also it unclear if he really had any sort of relationship with ruth after the divorce but she was not mentioned in his obituary in the in 1999 not 1991 when he passed away okay. so clearly cut i think clearly cut ties with his old family yeah yeah as if that wasn't bad enough around this time helen the mother was diagnosed with cancer and died oh shortly after oh my god yeah oh both Ruth and Deborah would drop out of high, uh, drop out of school. I think Deborah was at a, about middle school at this point. Oh my god! Uh, Ruth was said to have had a pretty transient, vagabond kind of lifestyle at this point, kind of living with friends, couch surfing, doing things like that. She they're alone now because they're alone, and she's got you know a younger sister, and there's this you know that pressure how to take care of it. There were they did still have some relatives, so. Deborah was living okay. with them at the time. Okay. And I think Ruth, I don't know if Ruth had the option or not and chose not to. Clearly she had a lot of stuff going on and there's all of this. It's a lot. She did marry as a teenager, as a late teenager, but the marriage did not last. According to Deborah, it soured within months and then they were divorced. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. And that's when she met a man called Tampa's Vaughn. Tampa's Vaughn. Tampa, I'm not sure. Tampa. Uh, who she married within again within months of meeting him. Girl and moved away. Hmm. She's just trying to get out of that town. Right. Deborah says she did not very much like this man her sister was dating, but she also states that their relationship moved very quickly, which she also didn't approve of. And within months they were married and Ruth moved away with her new husband and Deborah never heard from her again. That's so sad. This was the last time any of her family or her friends saw her alive around 1981. Hmm. And she, like, imagine, like, you don't like this guy. So there's many scenarios where you're like, this guy has, like, abused my sister. It's, like, sequestered her off. And, like, she won't talk to And your sister that. just came out of a divorce. Yes. And it's also, or it's like, oh, she's, like, completely cut ties with her old life. Did she just do this? Like, there must have been so many thoughts that went through her head about what happened. And their father had done the same thing. He got remarried and... Fucked off. It seems to me just forgot his old family. So I think there's a lot of, like recurring trauma for ruth and for deborah of like that's just what you do because seeing it from your parent or abandonment issue abandonment issues for sure like i said deborah and ruth immediately became estranged but she still thought that ruth was living in the state just like a couple towns over she thought she was still alive had a family and i think probably just assume that there would be time to reconnect mm -hmm. that's so sad okay it makes sense that she wasn't reported as uh missing then 
because I thought they were like living in the same town or something, but no. Hmm. No information was ever found regarding the child medical examiner said she would have had a year or two before her death. They never recovered information about that. I could not, like I said, couldn't find any info about the other bones that were found with the skull. That was the first thought my brain had. I don't think it's a huge leap to say whoever put the skull there also put the other bones there. But again, mm -hmm. I don't know the position in which they were found. So maybe, maybe there was some kind of a cemetery on the church grounds. And I also think they did do DNA testing on the skull. I think DNA testing would have proved any sort of familiar relationship between the skull and the bones if it was a right. child. That would be a very young child. Like, if we're assuming it's yeah. around the same time. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I would like to hope that that child is still alive somewhere, living their life, and hopefully one day they'll know their mother. Because they were one or two when she died. Like, they never knew her. Mm-hmm. Now we'll talk about Tampa's Vaughn. <clears throat> or David Vaughn. Or Travis Vaughn. Uh oh. Or Vaughn V A U G H N. Or Vaughn V A U G H A N. This is just like with Ruth's husband. Truly. Man. It's from the moon. Oh my God. Very interesting that they were both named Ruth and they both had this happen to them. We What we do know about a Tampas, and I'm going to use Tampas because that is what I believe he went by when he did meet with the family. We know he was born in 1945, 15 years Ruth Sr. They oh, would have met when Ruth was 20, 21, and Vaughn was 35, 36. Ooh. It could be worse. Not it could be worse. great. It could be not worse. Great. But she but is over should not 21. Be, it could be worse. Yeah, it it's could not be good. worse. She's over. There's not really a non-suspicious reason to go by multiple aliases. No. And indeed, her husband, because he was her husband at the time of her disappearance and death, never reported her as missing. Bro. Mm. Mm. What you got to say about this man? Mm -hmm. Like we said, she'd already been estranged from her family at this point. Unclear if that was by her choice or his. So nobody knew that Ruth was missing the whole time. He's almost 40 years, and she had been dead for almost all of them. Oh. No divorce was filed. There was no record of even an attempt at starting a divorce. So he was married to her when she disappeared and was murdered. Buddy. <laughs> he also had spent some time in jail in Iowa before moving to Washington and meeting Ruth. Because we just I know, could that not find one for, know that I looked. Know that I looked to try to find out what he was in jail for, and I could not find it. So it could have been, it could have been like something small. Yeah, yeah I don't yeah, know. Yeah. Do we know how much time he spent in jail? I don't. Okay. What I do know is that he died in California in 2017, four years before Ruth was ever identified. Ugh. So whatever secrets he had died with him. Man. What the hell? I hate it here. I think it is worth noting 
that those who knew Ruth before her marriage to Vaughn said that she tended to live a very transient lifestyle and she had been in a relationship that soured before. It's possible that she didn't want to be with him anymore and didn't want to bother with the divorce, had already seen how much of a hassle it was and just kind of, you know, left him and he didn't know what had happened to her. That's I don't think that's likely, but it is possible and we should mention it. That's not the first time that would have happened if someone just kind of not officially absolving the marriage. And he's dead now, so we can't ask him. And so is she. I will remind us, though, that her body was dismembered and you, in an attempt likely to obscure identification, which indicates that the killer knew Ruth and mm -hmm. worried her body would be tied back to him. There was some kind of connection he was hiding. Exactly. Also, mm -hmm. it's usually the husband. And I will also say that not only did initial investigations say that they thought the dismemberment of the body indicated uh an attempt to hide identity they also believed that whoever had perpetrated this that this was not their first violent crime because dismemberment of a corpse is a pretty big leap that's not to say it doesn't happen for someone's first murder but it's less common right yeah. and also especially not only a dismemberment but the removal of the hands the feet and the skull remembering that this is the 80s there's less understanding I feel the general public's knowledge of forensics, fingerprinting, things like that was not the same as it is today, 40 years later. There was less knowledge of that. But, you know, who might know about that? People who'd been in jail. But again, I don't know what Vaughn was in jail for. So it could have just been as like a misdemeanor. Could have been a DUI. I don't know. Could have been murder. Could have been domestic We don't even violence. know how long. It could have been a very brief stint. Dude, I was in Iowa State Archives digging through because I didn't even know what prison he'd been in. I was like digging through trying to find oh like his every single Vaughn there ever was. I was looking through multiple aliases because he's got he he goes by Tampus DL Vaughn to the family. Obviously, the D stands for David. What does the L stand for? I don't know. There was, Lee with all the <laughs> aliases could be Lee. <laughs> with all the aliases, with the time that that would have been, the 60s, the 70s, the records weren't what they are today. Yeah, yeah. I couldn't find it. Police are still looking into it, though, because they do not have, they have not ruled him out as a suspect. This is a fresh identification. So yeah, it's a fresh identification. The case is open right now. They are still looking, but they also have no other suspects at this time. I will say I did see some newspaper articles around the time that seemed to indicate that there was a rapist in the area at the time. Mm. Oh, I will yeah. remind you that her body was violently sexually assaulted. There was another woman who was murdered a few days later in another area who also had sex before her murder. Although I do believe they determined that that was consensual. Okay. And also it was a, it was a stabbing. So the, I just never different. really found yeah it, it was a very different crime and it happened after so if you're going to escalate to dismemberment you wouldn't then go back down to stabbing i don't think but there were other women who either had attempted rapes or rapes at the time there was also a a few days later after this murder there was a news story about a thief who confessed to police that he 
had committed several rapes in the area. Jesus. But most of those rapes, I know, what the hell is going on in Spokane? Spokane, get it together. Where, I will guys, say Spokane is a much safer city now than it was in the 80s. But I yeah, think a lot of places are. That's true. Yeah, I feel like it's them. But again, when it comes to maybe being a rapist in the area, none of the other women who were raped, I don't believe any of the rest of them were murdered, unless that, uh, unless you count that one woman, but I believe they determined her sex was consensual. Dismemberment is a very big leap. And then to not do that with any of your other victims, that's a yeah, little weird. But it's it's worth mentioning. Like, what the hell is going on in this area? And what's really frustrating about it is that like she had been found in the town and her sister just thought she was living her life somewhere she probably read the newspaper oh that my god imagine noted that it. she probably knew about millie as an unidentified body <sighs> maybe even thought as much as like oh my sister has a couple of moles on her neck but then you know you dismiss it and that like no, she's, you know, we don't talk, but, she, you know, she's alive. She's somewhere. Because you don't want to think that your sister no. is dead and dismembered in a river. You want to think that she's, we don't talk, we're estranged, but she's alive somewhere. She's got a family. I just, you know, one of these days I'll get around to reconnecting. Mm. But the whole time she's been dead. And that is really tragic to me. And also, did she have a child? Where is this child? Where is this child? Where's the baby? I do think the most likely scenario is that Tampus, either through some sort of escalating domestic violence or through one specific incident, did kill her. I don't believe they ever actually determined cause of death other than some, like there was some tape on her arm and she was violently sexually assaulted. But also she'd been dismembered, so that makes right. it difficult. And her body was found in cold water. That also made a post-mortem interval determination, the amount of time between the death and the discovery, difficult because the water was very cold. But they, I believe they thought it was a few days at the end of it all told. Yeah, and again, it's sketchy that he didn't report it to the police. Like, you yeah. are so married to this woman, yeah. and you didn't but report I it. But again, like some people, you know, their relationships hours, they don't want to go, go through the hassle of working with government officials. Maybe she just separated from him and didn't say anything and he didn't know. Like they didn't I don't get think a that's divorce. likely. It's like, it's just weird. Especially like, cause you can get a divorce without the other party, I believe after a number of years. Yeah. Abandonment. Yeah. Oh, Your spouse abandoned you. And if there was a child, like they, I, they found where he had died. They found in California, they found where he died. I don't believe he had any other family that they knew about. They're still looking into him and into her. Was there, because, you know, there's a certain amount of like the pelvic inlet moves to kind of indicate that you've yeah. given birth. So I'm like pretty confident that the medical examiner was correct that she'd had a child. Did this child live? Like, we don't know if the child even That's was. That's true. You know, it could happen. You just like these are things that we don't know. There could be a child just out there somewhere. Or, you know, with what happened to the mother, it's also mm. possible that the child was 
killed as well. Oh. It's a really tough case. And it's also like she was in her hometown. Yeah. And nobody knew. Nobody recognized her. And you'd, you'd want to think that if you died, albeit violently, in your hometown, that people would realize it was you. That they would recognize you somehow. But you were saying like the sketches were off, right? The sketches were off. Have Actually, the head I didn't for so you. long. Like I could get it. I could understand it. This photo of her was taken. This was her sophomore year high school portrait. It's the only known photo of her. Oh, that's kind of sad too. At least, at least on on a digital record, it's possible there are some photos somewhere else. But if you think about it, her parents divorced. There's probably a lot of shuffle of items there. Her mom had to move in with relatives. They probably had to get rid of a lot of things then. Then her mom passed away, so things probably got, got rid, gotten rid of then. Through the shuffle, it seems like this was the only photo that was left. And if you look at this, she has dark colored hair, has a much fuller face. Her nose is also like wider and first of all she's yeah. got a gorgeous smile and all but also her mouth is closed so you can't tell if there is a crooked tooth like they have in the sketch the sketch also has her as blonde but with like darker roots and i don't know why they chose to do that if she had dyed hair that she just didn't have in high school like it's a black and white photo and so it's a little bit hard to tell the coloring but i don't think it looks very similar but also the photo is a little bit older. So there's some question. Yeah. It's it's difficult because this she died when she was like she was 24, so a lot happens between sophomore year of high school and 24, so it's possible yeah. her face thinned out. But That's if a lot I of time if I knew Ruth face. and I saw this photo I of the reconstruction, I do not think I would have made the connection. Mhm. And I mean, scars, scars could be identifying, but again, her only living family member, the only one to miss her was Deborah, and she thought she was still alive. So you'd probably be like, oh yeah, people have moles on their neck all the time. Oh, that yeah. scar looks kind of similar to Ruth's, but people have scars. And also like, do you remember every scar on your family member? Not really. Yeah, unless I like talk about it. I was talking with my sister over holiday break and I just happened to notice a scar on her leg. And I was like, when, what is that? When did you get that? And she looked at me and she was like, I've had this since I was six years old. And I was like, no, <laughs> bullshit. I mean, where is it on her leg? Like her ankle. Oh, then yeah, you're not going to see it. You're not staring at her ankle. If it's like, maybe this is what I'm saying, though, knee like or shin. Yeah. I've got a scar on my knee. I don't think my family thinks about it ever. But now we think about it though, because sometimes think that's about all it, you're Kelsey, left with. Anna, I have a scar in my knee. I'm it's up here. I have a we'll birthmark on the inside of my right knee. I need you guys to remember this for when I didn't know, you know that happened. Now you know. Because we think about it, when we find these bodies that have very little in the way of a way to really identify them to show you what they looked like. We think, oh, oh, they had a scar. They had a tattoo. Why haven't they identified this person yet? You don't think about it that much, what no. a person looks like. They just look like them. And then when you get the facial reconstruction that doesn't quite look like them, and you don't want to think that they're dead. I think your, that's a big part of it, Your brain has to rationalize too. it. Yeah. Tattoos, it's though, like when like people easy. discover bodies and always think it's a mannequin first. You, Your mm. brain doesn't want to assume the worst. Well, that's all I have for you today. I find this, this is a really tragic case. She's, uh... 
She was eventually reburied during her time as Millie in an unmarked grave in Fairmount Memorial Park. I do believe they are working on getting some kind of a grave marker now that they have a name to attach to the body. I don't think we'll ever find out who did this because there's no new DNA on the body. The only person who could have told us anything about the people around her is dead and also is probably the person who is responsible for how she ended up. I'm kind of, I'm pretty comfortable saying that. (laughs) Yeah. And maybe there's a child out there somewhere who never knew their mom and this is what happened to their mom. And I. Horrific. There's a quote that goes as part of this murder as well, that uh, everyone deserves to have a name. Yeah. Several sources mm. cited it as belonging to different people. I think some people were quoting other people who'd already said it. People deserve to have a name. People deserve to be missed. Whatever fights you're having with your family, it's worth it enough to keep in touch. And I think nowadays it's easier to stay connected than it was in the 80s. But that's what gets me about this case, too, is that no one even knew to miss her. That is tragic. I feel so bad for her sister. Her sister was probably like, she just cut off communication and that was it. Yeah. No, for real. She's like in her late 50s now. She said it was like a a sledgehammer because she had no idea. That she, I, and that's her only family. That was her only family that was left. And she always, I guess, hoped that she was alive somewhere. And then Spokane police had to break the news that not only was she deceased, she had been deceased for decades. Oh, my God. And that's such a hit to be like, I'm alone in this world now, like in terms of family. Like that is horrible. It's truly tragic. And it's not fair. On that really dour note, that is the case of Ruth Bell Waymeyer, unidentified for 39 years uh, it is thanks to the work of Othram and other such corporations that are working on forensic genetic genealogy. I do know that is a little bit of a controversial topic when it comes to what companies are allowed to do with your DNA, but there there are some positives to come out of it. There are so and, many cases in recent years that have finally people have been identified. It's just, it's good work. It's good when done properly, it's good work. Yeah. It's a tool like anything else. It's about how you use it. Mm-hmm. Reach out to your family members. Make sure they're okay. That's where we're going to end this, I think. Because mm-hmm. without our connections, what do we have? Thanks so much. Bye. Bye, guys. Bye-bye.